me ask you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark 12. Let me tell you about a guy named John. John grew up in a home where they, I'm sure in a very well-meaning way, tried to teach him that he could only be saved by obedience to the Ten Commandments. He had to keep all the commandments to have any hope of salvation. And he set out to do that. And he actually did a pretty good job, outwardly, of keeping God's commandments. As a very young man, it got harder when he went off to school. He saw how hard it was to keep all the commandments, and so John decided he would bring comfort to himself about his own salvation in three ways. The first way was that he actually wasn't as bad as other people. Secondly, he still, down deep, even though he was breaking commandments, had a warm heart toward his religion. And then thirdly, his comfort in his mind was that he he read his Bible, he still went to church, he still said his prayers. And so he took some comfort in that. He became a, a part of a group when he was in school where young men were holding one another accountable for living a right life before God. They, as a group, they would fast at times. They would gather for Bible study. They would pray, of course. They even had communion once a week as a group. At his father's, let's say, his strong encouragement... John became a pastor. Did a lot of the things that pastors do, including he he took an extended mission trip, which was a disaster. You see, the problem was this guy named John wasn't saved. He met some people on the way back from the trip that had a a genuine and a warm faith. But he was far too sophisticated for their foolishness. Too wise, too intellectual, 
for them. That's the story of a guy named John. I want to read to you a somewhat parallel story, I believe, in the Scripture. We're going to begin with the 28th verse. I want you to remember the context. Jesus is in this time of questioning first by one group, then another. And we read in Mark 12, beginning with 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for this account given to us, preserved for us, for reasons known to you, but we pray that you would reveal them to our hearts, that you would apply your word to us, that we would not fall into that trap of saying, yeah, this is good for so-and-so to hear, but rather we would have ears ourselves to hear you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take a a look at this passage and uh, this new line of questioning that we have here, and I hope you'll see the the parallels with the story that I told you, at least ultimately I I hope you'll see that. First of all, let's take a look at the, the question itself, verse 28. 
28, once again, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, remember how last week we had Jesus interacting with the Sadducees, those who didn't believe in the resurrection. And then in the previous passage, we had Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and the Herodians. They were approaching him, so it was like one after another. He would deal with them. He would cut to the core, sometimes not really answering the question they asked, but he would cut to the core, to the heart of the issue, and he would deal with them. And then another group would kind of rise up. And so here we have a teacher of the law. Let's call him a lawyer. It's legit. And let's face it. He wouldn't be much of a lawyer if he saw a great debate going on and didn't feel like he ought to jump in. Don't you think? And that's what we see here. He's impressed by what's going on. He's, this, is, this was a common way for people to interact with one another. And... So he sees what's going on. He's impressed with Jesus. And he says, I've got a question. But it seems to be a sincere question. Whether it's a good question or not, it seems to be sincere because Jesus doesn't immediately go to his motives. You know, he was very quick to point out these other guys and where they were coming from, but he actually answers the question that is asked. If you remember how he dealt with others uh, back with the Pharisees, back in 15, it uh, says this in chapter 12, verse 15, should we pay, this was uh, paying taxes to Caesar or not. Should we pay or shouldn't we? It says, but Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? So he immediately saw that in them. And then verse 24, we talked about last week. They asked the question and Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? He saw their greatest issue was they just didn't get it. They really didn't get it. Now, here is a guy asking a question. Jesus doesn't hit him up for his hypocrisy. He doesn't say, you just really don't get it, although there's a sense where his answer is going to point that out. And ultimately, we see that he is near the kingdom, not far from it, but Jesus evidently saw something in this man's heart, and so the guy asked the question, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, be the detective. Why do you think he would ask that? 
why is a, why is a, a lawyer going to ask about the law of all the commandments, and even if we just limit it to the ten, although they had many, many more than that, which is the most important. What would be behind that? Well, I'm convinced that the lawyer wanted to see how he was doing with God. Okay, here's the question. Okay, look, I'm realistic enough to know that some of them are going to be more important. I don't want to mess those up. I'm trying to be obedient to God. And so tell me, how can I prioritize the law of God? You see, I think his analytical mind, he was saying, I don't want to be spending all my time trying to keep some commandments that may be lesser commandments and then messing up on the biggies. I, I want to prioritize and then I'll, I will keep those top ones, the most important ones, and I hope I can keep them all. But please, tell me. Now, this question is both a good thing and a bad thing, at least in my view. It's a good thing in that this lawyer evidently really wanted to please God. Otherwise, Jesus, I think, would have hit him from a different angle. He wanted to obey him. He was seeking God in his own way. Evidently, he was seeking God through the law. That makes sense for him as a studier of the law. But it's also a bad thing because the lawyer evidently thought he really could do it. He thought that give me these priorities and then I will be in good shape because it's all about the law and I can do it, you just give me the formula, and I will achieve it. He would add that to his religious activities, and he would be all set with God. Now look at the answer in verse 29. The most important one, answer Jesus, is this. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, Jesus, in these two commandments summarizes the law. Now, how so? How do you figure that? You remember the Ten Commandments when they were given? They were given on two tablets. Remember the movie? <laughs> you know, that's how most people picture it. Moses with the two, two tablets, sometimes called the two tables of the law. On one, the first table of the law, 
are the first four commandments. And those commandments are all about God's relationship with us, our relationship with God. The first four commandments. Having no other gods before him, no graven image, not taking the name of the Lord in vain, and remembering the Sabbath to keep it holy. So that's the first table of the law. That, to obey these, Jesus says, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second table of the law are the last six. Those pertain to our relationship with one another. There you have honoring your father and mother, no murdering, not committing adultery, not stealing, not lying, not coveting. If you do those last six, you are, as Jesus would say, loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, so you see the the summary there in just those two commandments. But we need to understand when Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.5, he is presenting to the lawyer, and this is key, he is presenting to the lawyer the impossible. Look at what it says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength, heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of it. Now, to the Jew of that day, they delighted in saying Deuteronomy 6.5, in rejoicing over it, but somehow we're missing the all part. Have you ever loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength for even one minute? The honest answer is no. And so to hear that and really hear it is to say, whoa, I'm in a bad situation here. If that's what he requires of me. Then, if someone would say, like a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a teacher of the law, someone might say, well, I'm doing all that. I am loving God. Then comes the second part. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, that's where it's really testing. There are those that can fool everyone else on those first four. 
They can pretend to have an all-out love for God. They can outwardly do those first four. The test comes and is often more easily seen in the second table of the law. And that is the loving your neighbor as yourself. One can in outward, be in outward conformity expressing their love for God. But if they don't love their neighbor, they don't have a genuine love for God. That is everywhere in the Bible. John says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Again, in 1 John 3. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. He doesn't even talk about the love for God. He's saying this is the outward evidence because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. James chapter 3. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. And then Paul. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So there is the outward test. Now, did this bring the man to understanding? He likes the answer, doesn't he? That's that's the amazing thing here. Did he really understand? Look at verse 32. Well said, teacher. You know, he didn't say, oh, no. It takes all that? How could I do that? Well said, teacher. You're right in saying that God is one. There's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, at this point, it is true that this lawyer has gone beyond the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and understands, at least in his head, what Jesus was saying when he says it's more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Pharisees would never say that. They would say, what about our sacrifices? What about what we do? What about all these outward things? Here at least this lawyer is saying, okay, you're right. He basically says, you you said that well. And then verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, 
he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. From then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. <laughs> that stopped the questioning at that point. You are not far from the kingdom of God. The Ad Council, uh, who puts out some very uh, good public service announcements, uh, one of the ones that I think is one of the most effective, it's uh, a series of them, uh, they call the Don't Almost Give campaign. And one ad, ad shows this homeless man. He's curled up in a ball on a pile of rags. He's on these, these ratty bed sheets and, uh, to shield him from the cold. And then the narrator says, this is Jack Thomas. Today, someone almost brought Jack something to eat. Someone almost brought him to a shelter. And someone else almost brought him a warm blanket. And there's a brief pause, and the narrator says, And Jack Thomas? Well, he almost made it through the night. Effective. The lawyer was not far from the kingdom. He was almost in the kingdom. but an inch outside the kingdom is the difference between heaven and hell for eternity. That is not a comfort to not be far from the kingdom. We don't know if he ever converted. I hope to see him in heaven, but we don't have that recorded. What he needed to know and to believe is what is in 1 John 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's, that's what he never got to. He thought it was about, all about him and his love and what he did. And he never got to. It's all about his love for us. Whatever happened to the guy named John that I told you about earlier? Well, he came back from that disastrous mission trip. And one morning he randomly randomly, providentially. He providentially opened the Bible to two passages. One of them was Mark 12, 34, what we just read. You are not far from the kingdom of God. That night, most reluctantly, he attended a Bible study. And of all things, the leader was reading from a commentary. 
Can you imagine going to a Bible study and the leader just sitting there, not reading from the Bible, but from a commentary about a book of the Bible? It was the introduction, a commentary by Martin Luther, the introduction to the book of Romans. This is what the guy named John wrote in his diary. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. The guy named John. Oh, that's John Wesley. John Wesley was used by God in a mighty way. He went to tell his brother Charles Wesley, who had been unsaved as well, to tell him his great news. And he found Charles that night at his home writing a hymn about his newfound faith in Christ. God used John and Charles Wesley in a mighty revival that changed people and changed English society. I do have to tell you in conclusion that I've got a real burden for souls of people in our community and around the globe. I hope you know that by now. But there's another burden that I pray about every single week. And that is that those who sit under my ministry be truly converted. That none would be left not far from the kingdom of God. If you've struggled with the law, with trying to save yourself, with trying to do all the right things, and maybe you have even been doing them outwardly, but you realize that you're still outside. You're not far from the kingdom. It's time. It's a matter of eternity. Let's pray. Lord, if there is anyone here that's just been playing the game for their parents or for their children or for their spouse, Lord, I would plead with you, don't leave them not far from the kingdom. Will you enable them to trust in Christ alone? 
today for their eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name.